picture of it from history, from the genocide 25 years ago. Yes. How would you describe Rwanda today? I think God has been gracious to us. I think the Rwanda I saw in 1994, 25 years ago, was totally hopeless. And uh, it, was, it was the, uh, how do I put this? It was the epitome of everything that is dead. That there was no life, there was nothing, there, there was nothing that would give you hope that it will be a country where people live again, where people can smile, where people can talk to each other. Um, it was it was beyond what a human mind can begin to imagine. It is uh, it is horrific to see violence against ten people, against fifteen, and all. Uh, even 20, it is, it is unthinkable. Uh, but when it gets to hundreds of thousands and even a million today, because that's what, uh, that's what we realize, about a million people are killed in, during the genocide, it is unthinkable. You cannot begin to think of what that actually means. That means that if I am a survivor, then the person next to me must have a relationship with a, ben, uh, with a, with a perpetrator on the other side, and therefore uh, it's really difficult to, it, it would have been a really difficult context to live in. Uh, but we really thank God because he has done things for us that we cannot even begin to imagine. People talk to each other, people have reconciled, people have forgiven each other. Um, I know the world talks about justice and everything, but forgiveness is, forgiveness takes justice beyond what we can begin to think. And uh, I mean, people can talk to each other, people can laugh, people can share, and, uh, and that is mighty important in our context. Yeah. Well, we're so pleased that you're here with us. Uh, Di is going to come and read uh, the Bible passage for this morning, and after that, we look forward to hearing you speak. Thank you. Uh, there's some Bibles at the back and on the balcony. Um, the reading is uh, from Job chapter 14, starting at verse 7, and if you've got a church Bible, it's on page 519. At least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again, and its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground, and its stump die in the soil. Yet, at the scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. Good morning again. So uh, I was telling the morning service this morning that we make quite a fuss about greeting people and, uh, and, uh, and equally uh, about them responding to our greeting. So good morning, and I want to hear your response. <laughs> yes, uh, my name is Emmanuel, as you had, and um, I come from Rwanda, and I work for Tier Fund. And I'm also a part-time minister in uh, two churches. God has been gracious to me in that way that I can minister to two totally different congregations. 
and uh, I really thank God for that. It's, I don't take it for granted, just as much as I don't take it for granted for you allowing me to speak, uh, to speak here in this church. I'm sure there are very many other worthy speakers who could come here and speak even better than I, I will do. You will find out that I'm not a very good speaker, even though I've been speaking for a very long time. So bear with me, and uh, God give you the grace to, to forgive me if, uh, if I'm offensive. And then uh, one of the biggest caveats is that I'm not, um, I'm not an English, uh, a native English speaker, so if I will mess up with your language, please have the grace to forgive me. It's, uh, it is my, actually, my third language. It is the third language that I learned, actually the fourth. Um, thank you very much. I come from Rwanda, so uh, there, is a lot of, there are a lot of stories to tell about hope. There is a lot to tell about hope, and today, what we've just read this morning talks about hope, and it's a man who knew affliction, He'd known affliction, he, he, he had lost everything that he had, and there was no hope for him, and it looked like it was hopeless. And in fact, his friends come to see him, and, and all they tell him is about him. Actually, I think one of them must have recommended, you know, suicide. Just, you know, just insult God and, and go your way. Um, so when I speak about hope as a Rwandan, I really know what hope means. I know what it means to lose everything, and I know what it means to grow without anything, and I know what it means when everything is completely dead. In, in 1994, I was working in Rwanda, and I went to... Uh, I was working in Kenya, sorry, and I went to Rwanda, curiously trying to find out, because I'd been born outside Rwanda, so I did not know my extended family. I had I'd never met them. I had them from my father's stories and, uh, and my parents' stories, but I had not had an opportunity to meet them. Um, I'd met my grandfather because he left Rwanda as well and came with us, but I'd not met all my father's siblings and their children, because they were not allowed to come into, into Tanzania where my parents lived. And um, I was very curious, and especially about an uncle that my father loved very much, their last born, the last born in their family. And he spoke of him all the time, and I, and I idolized him when I was growing up. I thought he was the best person in this world, because uh, and I, I haven't understood why my father used to do that, because they had a very big gap. My father was a second born of seven, and, uh, and his brother was a last born of seven. So, but there were only two boys, so he really loved him so dearly. Um, then, I, in, after the genocide, or actually when, uh, when, Kigali was, uh, when Kigali was pacified in 1994, around the 4th of July, I, I, I thought I needed to go to Rwanda and see if I can find my, uh, my relatives. And when we count today, we think there were about 105 or so. You know, all the, the, the entire grandfather's family and their grandchildren and everybody. And I went there and I was looking and my family comes from, uh, from, uh, from Kigali now. What is Kigali now? The capital city. That's where they originated from, but which uh, on the periphery of what was the city then. 
Then when I went in and I was looking, I was, uh, so I went in on the 8th of July, and Kigali had fallen on the 4th of July, so I went in on the 8th of July, and I was looking around in that area, which I didn't know very well, but I did ask about my relatives who were very well known because there were so many. And um, somebody came up and said, all those people died except two old women and five children. And uh, I really wanted to find them, so I was looking for my uncle's family, and I got to, I got my, um, I got my, I, I got one of my cousins who had survived, and she, she had survived because when they were killing her parents, her mother and her siblings, they all fell over her, and she only was able to crawl out in the night when she was, she was only three. She crawled out, and uh, intriguingly, the man who found her was the one who had killed the family, and he took, he took her out and, uh, and took her to an orphanage. So, and he was the one directing me where he had taken her, but nobody knew that he had been involved in the killing. So later on, it was, it was found out that he was actually the person leading the killing, and uh, even though he rescued Rachel, but he, was, uh, he had been involved. So, I took, I took her, I went and got her from the orphanage and I took her in and I lived with her. Uh, Rachel now is a married woman with three children. And um, when she was about 12, there, were, there was a local court that was going on and it was based on, you know, on testimonies and people talking about what they actually saw and all that. And Rachel was called to attend that court and she... When she came back the first day, she, was, she, she called me aside and said, I think I, there's something that I need to release from my heart. And I said, what is it? And she said, I really need to forgive that man who rescued me, even if he is the one who killed my mother and my brothers and everybody. But I feel I need to let him go. I need to get him out of my life completely. And I said, how, how do you plan to do that? And she said, I'll just forgive him. And I was, uh, I was really angry at, at, the, at the thought itself. And then um, she, kept, she persistently kept on saying that, and then she later challenged me and said, but the Bible says I should forgive. So I need to forgive this man and let him go. And I was really challenged. And I was really challenged. And, I was, and then uh, and I, I tried to find it in myself, and I realized you know, I'd been bitter all my life. I'd been bitter all my life because of what, what I went through, because of what happened, because of here I was stand, you know, all alone without any paternal relative left except you know, uh, two elderly aunties and, uh, and uh, an orphaned young, young lady who was completely traumatized. She couldn't sleep for 10 years. She couldn't sleep properly and all that. But you know, then... I came to terms with the fact that the Bible asked me to forgive and without any, without any, you know, without any buts, it's forgive and you'll be forgiven. And there is nothing in between there and that was very challenging and uh, that's when my journey on, uh, my journey of reconciliation began and I began to start forgiving people and, uh, and also working on reconciliation and teaching people re uh, reconciliation. And um, I want to say that I had not joined Tear Fund then, and when I joined Tear Fund later on, and I found out that they were working on reconciliation, 
And to be fair and honest, if our country stands today, is that people have been able to forgive each other and to stand up, even in all the horrific things that happened in our country. It's only that people had, people had the, the, the strength to stand up and say, you know, I forgive you because there is nothing else I can do but forgive you. And because people did actually genuinely ask for forgiveness. So when I speak about hope, I'm speaking from that from that background, when I speak about hope, when I'm talking about hope, I'm talking about complete decimation and complete butchery of human beings. It's, a, it's, it's something that you cannot begin to understand. It's a very difficult situation when you are walking around and the first thing that you encounter, and this is, I had just been in a country for the first time, and here was a dog that was running around with a, with a human hand in its mouth. I'd never seen a dead body, let alone a dead body being eaten by a, by a dog. This was very challenging for me. And I thought, there is no hope here. I thought, there is no hope here. There is nothing. And in fact, one of the reasons why I stayed in Kenya longer is because I was angry. I, was, I, 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 I felt hopeless. I felt there was no hope. I felt there's no hope. But then think about a man like Job who lost everything. He lost everything. And yet he was a man who went to, who prayed to God. He prayed to God unceasingly. He prayed all the time. He sacrificed. He did, he did a lot of things you and me cannot be able to do. And then his friends come, and he thought he had friends. They come to, instead of commiserating with him, they start reminding him of his sins. He is a sinner. He, has, he must have done something. You know, there are things that happen to you, and, and, and you feel, I mean, if, even in very few words, when your friends don't talk to you, but you feel like somebody is telling you, you must have done something. Otherwise, this, is, this couldn't happen to you. And I had all this when I lived in Kenya with all my friends and uh, and all the people that I'd grown up with from the age of 10, and they could tell me, you know, it, it's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You guys must, must be the worst people in this world if God can let you, you know, if, if God can let you die like this. And that's, that's what Job was feeling. That's what Job was feeling. And he gets to a point of, you know, he gets to a point of, he can't do anything. Else, apart from hope. And I like what he says to his friends, and he says there is hope. And he uses an analogy of a tree, and he says there is hope. That, even, that, that at least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again. And its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. There is hope. So we go through very difficult situations and different and difficult circumstances. We we experience and feel and, and you know and feel pain. We live with pain. We live, you know, all there are so many afflictions, there are so many things that afflict us. But I want to tell you this morning that there is hope. There is hope. There isn't anything, there isn't anything that God cannot revive. If God revived my country, 
and it's a country. Today, we are still poor, but we have an economy that is growing at 7.5%. I was reading about it the other day. Uh, we are coming from nothing. We are coming from zero. 25 years is a very short time. It's just a generation. We are growing at 7.5. We, we've come from 67% of people being very poor to 35 to 39.1%. And we thank God for that. There's, but there are still so many other poor people. But this is telling us a story that there is hope. There is hope. And I want to tell you that there is no trick that would have been used to revive Rwanda. It's not economics. It's not statistics. It's nothing. There, is no, there was no mathematics there because you had nothing to count and nothing to stand on. There wasn't anything. There was no salt. There was no sugar. There was no butter. There was no milk. There was nothing. There was not even water in the taps. Not even water in the taps. I got into Kigali when people could not even open a tap. You can't open a tap to drink water. You cannot even go to the river to drink water because their body is floating there. Their body is floating there. You cannot walk on the streets because there are bullets flying all over. And then, a number of people who had been in the diaspora who came back immediately they came back to Rwanda. They started praying. It started as a group of four, then it became a group of 15. Then all the others who had survived in Rwanda got together and started praying and saying, God, all this has happened, but revive us. Revive us. Do you know, it is very difficult for me to walk out here. I was speaking at a, a Scottish government event the other day and I was telling them about all this and about how, what happened, where the economy is at the moment and how it's growing and people clap and say, oh, that is very good economic management. But what do you manage when it's not there? Where do things come when they have disappeared? Where do they come from? When there is no economy, how do you restart an economy? How does it happen? You have no currency to buy anything, and even if you had it, you wouldn't buy anything because there is nothing. What is there is hopelessness all round. All round. But for, all, for those of us who believe in God, there is one thing we know. We know there is hope that even when everything else goes and disappears and there is nothing for us, and we cannot think of anything that would revive us or even turn it around. But there is one thing. There is God out there who turns the situations around and who changes everything. And it's no longer the same. It can never be the same. And when God puts his hand to it, it can never be the same. A man called Job. He'd lost his children. He'd lost his wealth. He'd lost everything. It makes me feel like a survivor in Rwanda somewhere in 1994. He'd lost everything. I went to see an old woman just a few weeks before I came because we are doing a research on the elderly and what the church can do for older people, especially those who have lost all their children and all their uh, social safety net are completely destroyed. And I went to see this woman, and she is quite old. She's in her late 80s, older than my mother, who's 87. And she was full of hope. 
she came out of her house to actually greet us. You know, and she was smiling and I was asking her, how can you smile after all this? And she said, what would my enemy want me to do? And I said, I don't know. Then she said, and you call, these are her words, and she said, and you call yourself a pastor and you don't know what my enemy would say. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know, but I think your enemy would rejoice seeing you, uh, seeing you in pain and uh, not, not laughing and all that. And she said, that's exactly what it is. Because there is an enemy, but there is a redeemer. And my redeemer is stronger than my enemy. My redeemer is stronger than my enemy. And she smiled again and said, when I think, when I think that my redeemer is stronger than my enemy, that is enough for me. That is completely enough for me. Brothers and sisters, this is not an old woman who lost her children and her grandchildren to anything else. It's not to a tsunami. It's not to, it's not to, to a cyclone. It's not to an epidemic. She lost all her 10 children to a machete and their, and their grandchildren and, their great, and her, her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren, all of them wiped out completely and she has nobody. And they were not killed by, by an attacking army, by strangers, by anybody. They were all killed by her neighbors. But she can smile. She can smile. I remember myself and Professor Davis from, uh, from uh, University of Birmingham just leaving that home and saying, Oh my God, there is hope. There is hope. So today, you might be going through a very difficult patch, or you might have gone through a very difficult patch, or when a difficult time comes in your life, please, please do remember that there is hope. It is not a permanent condition, because that's what God exists to do. There are things we, can't, they, there are things we have no response for. We cannot do anything about them. We cannot do anything about them. And... And you know, yeah, I would, like, I would like to be angry, I would like to shout about it, I would like to, yes, that's, that's, that would be my first reaction. In fact, if I, could, if I could kick, I usually kick my car so it has problems when I'm angry. So it's maybe because the tires don't hurt so much, so that's what I kick. But yeah, that's what we would like to do. You know, that kind of a reaction, that's what we would like to do. We would like to shout so loud so that people hear that we are angry. But it's not about us because, you know, you know what Job said later on in, 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 in chapter 19, verse 25? Job says, I know in all this, my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. Amen. And if for any reason you get to that point where you feel there is no hope, please do say, I know my Redeemer lives. And He doesn't live for nothing. He is alive specifically for that. Specifically for that. If you ever hit rock bottom, 
you know, where things are really bad, where things are really bad, please remember, please remember that your Redeemer lives. There is, uh, there is a young worshiper, a young Rwandan worshiper, lives in Texas now. He sang a song. He said some of those American, uh, American songs, and he said, he's doing everything in my favor, and I am surprised. Because that's what our God does. He does everything in our favor, and that surprises us. But it shouldn't. Because that's exactly what God does. All those things that we cannot do for ourselves, all those things, even those, even those things we mess up. We messed up our own country. By the way, all this I'm saying, our country was, 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 was taken to hell by ourselves, and therefore it is up to us, to, we think it's up to us to bring it, but we couldn't bring it back. But we have a God who brought, us, who brought back our country from hell. We can live there. I can, walk, I can walk in Kigali, you know, I can walk in Kigali in the night, in the middle of the night. And yet, in some countries where they have not known war and that kind of killing, it's very difficult for them to walk in the night in Kigali. So there is hope that even if a tree be cut, it will sprout again. It will grow again. And it says, its new shoots will not fail. When God turns your situation around, you become like a rock, a hardened rock. You just need to be aware who's done that in your life. Amen. Can I ask you to stand up and we pray together? I don't know what you're going through right now, but I feel the Lord, I feel the, the Lord directing me to tell you that it is that that is just temporary, no matter how big it is, no matter how big it seems, or even no matter how small it is. I feel the Lord pushing me to say to you that He'll turn it. He'll turn the situation around. He'll turn the situation around because there is hope and he is a God of hope. So pour your heart out to God and uh, right now, just for a minute, just say to God and I will close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for in you we have undying hope we have hope that is real, that we can see, that we can talk about, that we have lived. Lord, we thank you for all that you do through us, through each and every one who is here. But thank you so much. Thank you so much for telling us that you'll turn everything that we face around and all will be good with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Thank you, mate. Thank you. We're going to continue to respond. Um, thank you, Emmanuel, for that 
very powerful word um, and those words about the fact that our Redeemer lives and God works in our favor. And it shouldn't surprise us, but often it does. And just a sense maybe this morning that you'd appreciate prayer for something. The members of our prayer team will be down here at the front. And um, I read this week a, a quote. Someone said, it's very easy to admire Jesus, and it's very easy to agree with Jesus. But actually, it's much more difficult to obey Jesus. And maybe as Emmanuel was speaking, a situation came into your mind where actually God is calling you to forgive. Where God is asking you to make the first step to forgive somebody else. And Rwanda has an amazing story over the last 25 years. But it's because actually people didn't just admire Jesus. They didn't just agree with Jesus. They actually obeyed Jesus. And maybe God is calling some of us 